Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. What a beautiful song. Do you write songs by the quality of the lyrics in your own mind? I don't know that we're always thankful for the scars that we have in life. I'm most thankful for the scars of Jesus. But as I was singing that song, I was realizing that I don't think as much about some of my older scars as I used to, and I'm thankful for healing. But if you grew up not knowing Jesus, as I did, and if you had some weird things going on in your house, as I did, like alcoholism and codependency and lots of junk, I'm so thankful that Jesus redeemed me. And I know that I'm not standing here today by myself, standing here today because of his grace. Do you have some scars, friends? Are you at a point where you're ready to praise God for it? Thank you for the music. I want to invite you to turn with the Bible to Matthew chapter 7. I'd like to continue our series on the greatest sermon ever offered. Of course, that's by Jesus, and it's known to us, collected all together in Matthew's gospel, unique in the way it's presented to the other gospels, as the Sermon on the Mount. No, not the Sermon on the Amount, don't worry. That's a different sermon. Jesus offered to us, and it's presented in such a way that it's a summary of what we really need to know if we want to be effective members of the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount is not for everybody, is it? It's for those who would choose Jesus as king. It's those who would say, I want Jesus' kingdom, his rulership, in the territory of my life, not a geographical territory per se, but in the territory of my will and my decisions and my family and my relationships and the way I conduct things on this world while I'm here. The kingdom of God is now, and it's alive in us if we're obedient, if we're willing. Have you noticed how challenging Jesus' words are in this summary fashion? He says so much in so little space. As we're in Matthew chapter 7, you may notice as you're looking at your Bible, this is the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount for Matthew, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And I want to invite us to consider this great invitation that Jesus gives to us to pray. Would you stand with me as you're able? Beginning with verse 7, it's where we left off last time. Jesus invites us, if we're willing, ask, promises, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Don't worry, I mean, which one of you? If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will 
your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. May God bless the reading of his word. May we be obedient. Amen? Please be seated. I'm going to start, I have two questions that I want to frame my thoughts around this morning. I'm going to start with a simple question, why pray? And then I want us to look specifically at what I think Jesus is teaching us about prayer and these commands to pray with ask, seek, and knock. So let me just start with this really simple question as a starter for us. Why pray? Because God commands and expects it. Do you know it? Is that a good enough reason for all of us to make time this week to pray? Somebody said, if we're too busy to pray, we're too busy. <laughs> Ask. It's in the imperative, by the way. It's a command form, as it's rendered here, translated to English from the Greek Septuagint. We don't know exactly what Jesus said in Aramaic, in case you're curious and you're a Bible nerd. But this is, this is the imperative. Do it. Seek. Knock. God commands and God expects that his people will pray. In fact, Jesus once told a parable that said you ought to pray all the time. Paul caught on to this in 1 Thessalonians, and he said, this is the other two-verse Bible verse. If you want to memorize a Bible verse, memorize 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Not just Jesus wept, but pray continually. Did you know that? Just two words. Pray continually. Pray all the time. It's interesting, God doesn't command us to sing or to teach or to give work without ceasing, but he does command us to pray without ceasing. One day the pastor was asked by a young boy in his congregation if the young, if the young boy prayed every day. Sorry, the pastor asked the young boy. And the youngster said, I don't pray every day. Some days I don't want anything. <laughs> we know it's not about us. Can we start there? Can we say that? Can we say that we recognize as people who've adopted and accepted and who are willing for the kingship of Jesus, he says to pray. That's a good enough reason, right? It's not because the pastor said so or the Sunday school teacher said so or anything else. It's God's idea to pray. Secondly, because God hears and answers prayer. And I guess I have a question for you. Do you believe it? I love the words of this psalm. Psalm 65, you who answer prayer. What great faith. Could those words be uttered from your lips? Oh God, you who answers prayer. Wow, what a beautiful way to start our prayer. Oh God, you who answer our prayer. How would your life look different today if you did not have the confidence that when you reached out to God, he didn't hear you or he does hear you? How would that change things if you didn't know? You can know. As you call out to God, it's his idea. He commands you to do it. And he is the one who hears and who answers prayer. So all throughout scripture, take me up on this. Ask, you're going to get the answer. Seek and you're going to find and knock and the door is going to be opened. God honors that for you. He's willing. That's no small thing, is it? that the God of the universe is willing to hear you. It's a promise. And sometimes when we pray, we don't necessarily always feel that. Fair enough? 
We don't always feel that. And we question, well, why would God want to know what's on my heart, what's on my mind? Why would, why would God choose to speak to me if I was obedient to be still and to listen? Why? What's his idea? He's your heavenly father. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He sent his son to die for you so that you could have this privilege of prayer. It's really important stuff. God hears and God answers our prayer. We're reassured of this. And why pray? Again, it's not about us, but, but how about this? God himself is pleased and God himself is honored when his children pray. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God. How better can we demonstrate our faith, take God up on it, by praying? Are the things that we choose not to pray about the things that we don't feel like we need to trust God for? I don't need anything today. There isn't anything too great and there isn't anything too small to give over to God if we understand what it's about. It's about his kingship and lordship over everything. Did you notice that about the golden rule as it's read right there in the context of ask, seek, and knock. In everything, do to another as you'd have them to do to you. The kingdom of God is pervasive through every part of our lives. We compartmentalize. This is my work life. This is my prayer life. This is what I do with family. This is what I do with Jesus. And, and it's not that way. God longs to be present in every part of our relationships, our words, the way we talk to our kids is just as important as the way we sing our worship songs in a sanctuary. All of life is sacred. Jesus is present. He longs to be Lord of all of these things. God is pleased and honored when we pray. Let me look at this other question, which is really intriguing to me as I've looked at this passage of Scripture as brief as it is, I think that there are a couple of things that we learned that are really important with regard to prayer. The first thing and the most obvious thing maybe that you notice is that this is teaching us how to pray, if you will. And there are three commands, ask, seek, and knock. So what you might notice that seems obvious to me is that these represent a progression of seriousness. Would you agree with me? Do you see that? When we ask, we use our voice, if you will, or our mind, and we are asserting something that we need or want. We're being assertive. And that's healthy in a relationship. Being assertive is the ability to put into words your, what you think and what you want. And that's a very important skill to be able to do. Many marriages suffer because of a lack of assertiveness, believe it or not. Because they can't seem to tell the person that they love the most in the world what they really feel or what they really want. Assertiveness in prayer is about a relationship with a Heavenly Father who loves us who knows all about our daily stuff and welcomes us to be assertive. God can take it. <laughs> he wants your honest heart and prayer expressed in words. Ask, Jesus says. Ask. You're not going to know if you don't ask. But it goes deeper than that. Seek to me is a little more serious than just to ask. Are you with me? You know, when I, when I lose something like my keys which I do on a regular basis. Nothing else matters at the moment <laughs> because I can't go somewhere <laughs> I locate these keys. 
Jesus told a parable about someone who lost a coin in their house. And this person just flips the house upside down in search of this coin. Maybe it doesn't matter how many other coins there are, but we got to find this thing. Have you been there? Oh, the desperation of searching for things. And for people like me, maybe not like you, but boy, like me, I just can't think about anything else until I find this thing that I somehow lost. (laughs) When we as Christians describe lost people, we need to be really careful to understand. We're actually describing those who are beloved and precious to Jesus. So much so that, that he would refocus everything to find. Lost is a statement of value. Have you thought of it that way? It's important enough for us to go searching. I mean, I, I may have lost a penny and I, and, I, and I probably wouldn't go searching for it. But if I lose my keys, <laughs> I'm going to go find those. And Jesus calls us as a church to be searching. It's important. To me, that's just, that's just deeper than just asking. Are you with me? So, so if we're doing this in prayer, we're focused. We're, I'll say more about what each one means. And then knock. Knocking is confronting your barriers. If you think about it, we heard a very nice message a couple of weeks ago about a door representing an opportunity. But if you think about it, a door is also a barrier, especially a locked door. Because the door is what you want to go through to get to someplace else. To genuinely knock, to genuinely seek, is to say, I'm not content with being on the porch. I want to be somewhere else. I need to go somewhere else. I'm not content with present circumstance. So it's not just this casual, Lord, this would be nice if, if you would hear my prayer about this and that. It goes deeper than that, asking and seeking and knocking. And, and, and let me just take a little aside here before I say something about each one of those, and I will, because this is how we pray. A little aside. What we pray, I think, has been offered to us by the context here. I think this is really important to say, not just how we pray, but what we pray. And I, I want to suggest to you that if we look at the bigger context of what's going on, in this passage, I think we get a real clue into what it is we're supposed to pray for. Is that important? Well, yeah, because people take this verse out of context all the time. Ask, seek, knock, you're going to get whatever you want. You must not be doing it right. You must not be doing it earnestly enough. You must not be persistent enough, or God would surely answer because it's promised right here. We're so guilty. We, we find passages of scripture that we like and we ignore what's around it. The context of this passage offers some very important lessons to us with regard to what it is we should be praying about. So let me talk about context for just a second. The first context is within the chapter of Matthew 7. If you remember from the last message that I offered on the Sermon on the Mount, I said, Jesus taught us, do not judge. And then he said, judge. You remember that? Really tricky stuff. If you're interested, if I'm contradicting myself, I am. And you're welcome to listen to the whole sermon so you know how well I contradict myself. But that's, that's what it says. Well, if you're going to need to make judgments in the world to help a brother pick sawdust out of his eye, you need to ask, you need to seek, you need to knock. 
Do not attempt to do this in your own wisdom and your own strength and for your own needs. Be led by Jesus. You know, at first blush, I hear do not judge. And I just want to stop right there because I'll tell you what, I don't want to be judged. That's just my first take on it. Again, you'll have to listen to that sermon. But I don't want to be judged. But on the other hand, I, I kind of do want to be judged by people who love me, by people who care about me, who, people who genuinely see something that's going on in my life where I need to make a left turn, where I've got this blind spot and I need help. But I really want you to listen to Jesus before you talk to me, please. Because <laughs> Jesus might tell you, that's not yours to fix, friend. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> You're not the Holy Spirit in Ken's life or vice versa. I'm not in your life. And, and so ask, seek, and knock. Do not ignore the fact that it's on the heels of be careful in the way you approach one another when you see sin going on in the world. That's, that's the context. And what's interesting to me is right after it, right after it, oh, right after it, there is the golden rule. And you think to yourself as you're reading this, boy, Jesus is kind of random here. I mean, he's talking about judgment, then he's talking about prayer. And now over here, he's talking about the golden rule. And I understand all those three concepts, but how do they go together? And here again, I think this has everything to do with judgment. Be really careful in the way you treat difficult situations with other people where you feel like you need to say something, make sure you do this, okay? Treat them in the way that you would want them to treat you. And I, I, I'm just admitting for myself, before studying for this sermon, I, I don't know that I ever looked at the golden rule that way. But it's right there in Matthew. I know it's in other contexts in the other gospels, but in Matthew's gospel, it's right there. I just never thought about that. But I sure like that as a guideline. So, if you're all preparing the big intervention to confront me, <laughs> please treat me the way you want me to treat you. It's a great rule, isn't it? And, and I do think that the world generally lacks that respect. Oh, but wait, the Sermon on the Mount isn't for those other people. Am I right for us to use it against them? No, it's for those who are willing to follow Jesus, who say, Jesus, I want to do this your way. And I trust that's us, because you're sitting here listening to a sermon. There it is. In everything, do to others, including this task of taking the tweezers and finding that, that uh, speck of sawdust, right? Careful. Be really careful. Do that in a Christ-like way. Okay, Con that's the first bit of context. Does that teach us what to pray about? I think so. I mean, that's different than praying for a pony, right? That's, this is really serious business. God, I want to be loving to the person next to me. Maybe it's your spouse. And, and I want to be assertive, but I want to do it in love. So I need to ask about that. I, I don't just need to ask my buddy what they do in their marriage. I need to ask about that. Jesus, what am I to do? And, and I really need to seek an answer. I, I really need to try. Okay, how about this? That's one context for what. I'll get to the how. We'll finish, don't worry. But one more thing about what, or two more things. This is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's something else. I love learning new stuff. To me, I'd never noticed this about the Sermon on the Mount before I went to preach at this time. 
And what I noticed this time is that the word righteousness is everywhere in the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever paid close attention to that? I don't think this is overstated. This is where I'm at with it. You can challenge me later. I may have a speck of sawdust in my eye on this one. But I think that Matthew 5.20, you could make a case, anyway, that it's the center of the Sermon on the Mount. What is the Sermon on the Mount about? It's about true righteousness, period. Start thinking about it. How does Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those, as we learned, we took one week for every beatitude. We've been in this for a while, right? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who are lacking righteousness and they know it. We're all lacking righteousness. We're poor in spirit. Oh, aren't you thankful? In worship this morning, I had somebody next to me say that God is a forgiver. Teresa asked, what are you thankful for? God is a forgiver. Ah, I'm so grateful. The poor in spirit are welcome. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. It's about a true righteousness, not a performance of righteousness for other people to be impressed with. And then the middle beatitude says something like this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're the ones that are going to get filled. And it just goes on and on and on there. For the, Jesus comes to this point of Matthew 5, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We know that Matthew is really interested in that because he's, he's working really hard to show a Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah. Unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees and exceeds the teachers of the law, you're not even going to get in the kingdom. I just think that's the biggest eye popper right there for those who are actually listening to this, don't you? Ha! <sighs> What? And then he goes on to explain what true righteousness is. And in chapter 6, he talks about prayer and fasting. And he talks about giving the things that are these religious things we think are so important. We want to get close to God, so we do these things. But why do we do them? True righteousness is to do them, but it's to do them with all of our heart from the inside out. True righteousness. And now in context, what Jesus is saying is, you can't do this on your own. Ask, seek, knock. It's not up to you and me to be good enough to achieve the righteousness. If we try that, it's exactly what Jesus said, the opposite to try with Matthew 5.20. And again, I had a little fun with you a while back, just kind of, hmm, what would it be like to have a church full of Pharisees? Hmm. I mean, they all would have filled out the survey by now. But their hearts wouldn't be in it, so I don't want it. I mean, maybe I want part of it. I don't know. (laughs) There it is. True righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is worth asking for. That is worth seeking. That is worth coming across every barrier. I will not give up. I want Jesus to be alive in me. I want his kingdom to be evident in me. I want others to know his kingdom through me, not in my strength, not in what I can do, but only through Jesus. That's what I want. That gets me excited. See, how do you pray? Ask, seek, and knock, the intensity stuff. I'll get to it now. But what is it that we're to pray for? We are to pray for God's righteousness. Think about it. Not our own to pray that God would enable us to be the kingdom people 
that he wants us to be on this world. Can't do it in our own strength. We're weak. We're poor. We're hungry. Okay, is it overstated? I just want to know. By the way, you know that there's more to the Sermon on the Mount, right? There's just a little bit more. And actually, there's a change of topic that happens right here. The change of topic, so far, Jesus has been talking about righteousness, 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 righteousness. He ends righteousness right here, I think. And then what does he do? He says it's really hard to get in the kingdom. So as we wrap up Sermon on the Mount in the next couple of weeks, that's what we'll talk about. It's really hard to get in the kingdom. That, that's all he says in the balance of chapter 7. So you could make an argument that ask, seek, and knock is the concluding statement about the righteousness that God seeks for us. Well, again, you can go sawdust picking for me if you want to. I'm okay with it. But I do feel like it's what the Lord is teaching me about the Sermon on the Mount that I just really didn't have my eyes open to. So what, what, what is it that I can pray for? How about as a whole church community? What is it we ought to really be seeking? We ought to be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's everywhere. And then God will take care of all the other stuff. Okay. How do we do that? Oh, no. There's a bigger context. Are you ready? Put that down again. There's a bigger context. So there's the little context of judgment. There's the bigger context of the Sermon on the Mount. You got that, right? You're all saying yes. Don't say it again. Third, the bigger context. So I told you we had this really relaxing time. We went to Mount Hood, sat out on a porch of this cabin that dead-ended into a creek. It was awesome, surrounded by beauty. I've been slowly reading this book by Pastor Francis Chan. Uh, I'm rereading it, um, Crazy Love. And it's just, so where, it's just so in the lane of where I need to be right now. And I read this comparison of how small people are to the whole scheme of God's plan. And he said it in such a cool way. And I'm sitting here in the mountains with this stream and and he said, well, it's like this. You get asked to be an extra in a movie. And so you're in the movie for a whole three quarters of a second, the back of your head and somebody else you know. And so when the movie comes to the big screen, what you do is you invite your friends, you, you, you invite everybody to come see your cameo appearance, and there it is for less than a second. And the only one that really cared about it was your mom. <laughs> And so Francis Chan says, it's kind of like that. I get so worried about everything that is pressing on me, my worries, my burdens, my concerns, all of it. I get so tunneled in on the things that are bugging me. And he says, wake, wake up. God created the heavens and the earth and he said it was good. Were you around yet? And I'm looking around at these trees. Man. Some of them are like, wow, I estimated one of them. I don't remember what it was. Huge. It's just good for me to sit there and listen to the river and think that God is bigger. And then, and then he said this part about Genesis. He said, then God talked to this guy named Abraham. And I have to tell you, Genesis 12.3 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. That might sound silly to you, but it's where God intervenes in human history. 
It's the first record of God intervening in a way that's leading to Jesus. I mean, I know Adam and Eve, all that stuff. But, but the Abrahamic covenant is right there, and it's for me. God gave his promise to, to bring Jesus into this world. Oh, were you there? Well, not yet. Just, just wait a little further in the movie. You'll see. Right? And then God used people like, oh, Israel, Jacob. And, and, and he used Joseph. And, and, and you go through all these prophets of Isaiah, and you go through all these people. Were you there yet? Well, no. And God sent his own son into this world to be born into this world, to carry the sin of this world and to carry my sin, perfect and sinless, and to die for me. He was nailed to a cross for my forgiveness. And this is the fullest expression of God's grace and God's love, God's crazy love for this whole world. Have we got to your scene yet? No. If I could put ask, seek, and knock in a, in, in a bigger context, the bigger context is that God has a plan to redeem this whole world. And so often we're, we don't get God's vision for what he's up to and, and where he's going, what he's doing. We're just stuck on the little stuff. We're just dwelling in, in our own world. God has a bigger plan. And I think, you know, and last night I was trying to sleep and my neighbor's dog was barking. You ever prayed that God would tell the dog to stop barking? I mean, that thing was barking. You ever prayed and asked God that your sports team would win? True confessions? Yeah. <laughs> what should we pray about? Does this inform what we should really pray about if we really understand the gospel? if we really understand the bigger picture of what it's all about, of Jesus' kingdom, and he's resurrected and he's alive and he lives with us and he's coming back and he wants us to be busy about his mission. Oh, maybe that. Maybe that is, is what we ask. Maybe that is what we seek. Maybe that is worth knocking down every barrier to get there. Okay, how do we do it? couple things. To ask very simply is to practice humility and to admit your need. And that's not all bad, right? <laughs> if you're asking for something, you're admitting, I don't have it. And that, that I think is the Sermon on the Mount. It, it's about being poor. It's about being hungry. It, it's about being empty. It's about admitting our need. That's what it's about. Prayer is humility. It's about defining our needs and our wants. And, th and that's not all bad, is it? We all have passing wins. It's okay to tell Jesus about it. But what do we take to the next step when we get some clarity on that? Well, to seek is to really focus your time and your energy. And of course, biblically, I thought about <clears throat> Jesus saying that parable of the shepherd who would be willing to leave the 99 behind to find the one sheep. And that's stunning to people like me. Don't leave me, Jesus. I stayed here. That's not fair. And that's why he said the parable, by the way. 
he's desperate for the lost son. It's about a focus. It's about focusing our time and our attention and our energy and, and maybe whatever our ineffectivenesses might be as a church, maybe it's because we're just not focused. We're great people, but we're doing a thousand things. Focus. To seek really means to focus, doesn't it? To put other stuff aside and make prayer the business. And it involves changing your direction. Leaving something that's familiar, something that I like, something that I'm comfortable with in favor of whatever it is that the kingdom says is first. I think sometimes we like our own righteousness. Get used to it. Okay, knock. Again, I think there's a barrier here. I think there's a door. There's something that needs to be pushed through. To knock is to demonstrate our faith by taking a risk. I mentioned in the pastor's prayer a little bit ago that a couple of us went door to door and we didn't knock we, we, on purpose. We, we simply prayed for each household and put, put the hanger on there. But I, you think about knocking on somebody's door, it's, it's kind of bold, isn't it? Especially these days. Why didn't you text me first? <laughs> what are you doing knocking on my door? You think I'm really going to answer the door? It's a demonstration. It's a risk. What if you're rejected? What if the door is slammed? It's a higher barrier, if you will, than to just ask. it's, It's confronting the barrier that's there. It's knocking. And of course, biblically, Luke 11 especially, there's a, Jesus tells a parable saying you always ought to pray. And, and to be persistent, persistent, persistent in your prayer. That's his idea. That's his command. That's not ours. By telling this crazy story about somebody who at midnight knocks on your door and said, I have guests. I need some food. Can you help me? And no, we're asleep. Can you help me? No, go away. Can you help me? <laughs> it's continuing to knock. And so biblically, I see the connection there as well. That prayer is more than just asking once. Prayer is seeking with all of our heart, being focused. Prayer is a willingness to be bold. It's a willingness to move forward. I want to lead us in a prayer after just a couple of moments of silence. During this period of silence, we're asking that the Holy Spirit would speak to us personally and individually about whatever he wants to say. And then we'll conclude with a prayer and our song.